0: This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voices of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voices of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Masters program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. You goes, were on
1: the spot though. Yesterday, I couldn't spell dilemma because Scott was behind me. Yeah, uh, it's you it was know, it's
2: freaking me out. <laughs> She's like, Stop! You're watching. The
3: two M's are a little bit. No, they're fine. It throws you off. It throws you off. Read a book. Oh my god.
2: Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio Six Hundred Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor in Chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined as always by the Managing Editor, Andy Lopez Vialfania. What's up, Andy? Whoop whoop
1: whoop! Reclaiming the name. Reclaiming <laughs>
2: the name. What's up, Lopez? It's good to see hey, you, Lewis. I'm reporter Jacob McQuinney. Hello, sir.
3: Wow, you got so serious. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful to face off with you guys here.
2: Yes. Well, we're gonna do some adaptation. Um, and move on to Conair. Air. Uh, <laughs> coming up on the show this week, you all loved the discussion about the city attorney and the future of the city attorney's office on last week's show. I've got an update for you on that. Stay tuned. Also, the water world is popping off and Voice of San Diego is on it. Our next big event, PolitiFest, will bring together the biggest players in water in one place to talk about our most critical resource. I'll explain why it's such a big deal, who we have coming, and what we're putting together. It all seems quite nerdy and irrelevant until you see, like we did this week, the city council approved a 20% increase in water rates over the next two years. What's going on there? We'll explain as best we can. And two girls said they saw a boy with a firearm at a middle school. It freaked parents out across the Point Loma area but they got a crash course in how hard it is to expel students. We'll talk about the difficult balance San Diego Unified has with its progressive disciplinary goals and threats it must address. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us.
1: But first... We want to thank all who gave during our recent fundraising campaign. Voice memberships get you access to events throughout the year and discounts to our big annual summit, Politifest. And when you give, you can write a note that our whole team sees. Here are some folks who recognized the podcast in the last week.
2: Ken K, in recognition of the BoJack Horseman reference in the September 1st podcast.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I I think Will and I are probably to blame for that one.
1: And Robert Leiter said... Your great reporting on the homeless crisis is bringing to light some glaring inequities across our cities.
2: All right. And Shelby Huffaker said, podcast. Thank you for the excellent reporting you do on all the issues concerning the San Diego region. Special thanks to Lisa and Will for comprehensive reporting on homelessness. My only hope is to someday grab a beer with you all. That would be fun. You could come to a Bruiser News, show. Yeah, live podcast. Yeah, it doesn't seem like
3: it's that hard. If that's her only hope, she's in luck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's a uniquely accomplishable hope.
2: I'll have a Diet Coke. Okay, well.
1: And Janet Tierney says, I like keeping up on happenings in San Diego and the political scene. You provide an honest perspective. Thanks, Janet.
2: Okay, Nate's favorite this week was from Patrick Brian McNeese. He said, it's good. (laughs) <laughs> thank you, Patrick. It is good.
1: If you want to join these folks and all our awesome members who support voice, you can do that now. Go to VOSD.org slash pod people. Again, that's VOSD.org slash pod people. And thank you.
2: So Jacob has a really good way of, of um, sort of flattering me. <laughs>
1: God. He does. Yeah.
2: So yesterday he's like, "What do you think was wrong with the Padres this year?" And I was like, "Well, I have a thought." <laughs> and I think that they were so talented and they had such high expectations that they were pressing too much. They were trying too hard. Mm-hmm. And then they like kept coming up short. And I think combined with some atrocious luck. Like there's a it's it's statistically validated how bad their luck was. Mm that they just lost. And then that compounded some bad feelings and they pressed harder and it got worse and worse and worse. Uh-huh. But now they are winning. They have won seven in a row. Before you keep going,
3: I just got to say that all sounds like distinctly something a loser would say. <laughs> like we, we just, you know, we were trying too hard and we had bad luck. So go, all right, dude. Like, I hope your luck turns we're, around. We're Maybe try less <laughs> hard and you'll do better.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, good one. But I got to be honest, right? I agree. I agree. Uh, um, And I I think we're good at explaining loser hood (laughs) around here. Uh, But uh, I will say they have won seven in a row. And in the last two days, their playoff, their likelihood of making the playoffs has doubled. It has gone from 0.2% to 0.4%. Wow. And... It's just, I mean, it's an upward curve. It's like sure, yeah, it's straight yeah. up. Yeah, how fa- fast that's accelerating. <laughs> True. Up, they have uh, like nine games left, and they're down four and a half games from their playoff spot. So they have to win all of them, and I think they could. And I, it would be the funniest thing if they did. However, given the loser mentality of the year, what will? undoubtedly happen is that they will win all of these games and then they will still come up short. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I I that would be incredible. I mean honestly, I, I I want San Diego and San Diego sports teams most most of the time to to win and do good, but most just of be, the
1: time, who are you not rooting? I've always
3: hated the Chargers. I mean, oh. luckily they're gone, <laughs> so my hate is was
2: validated. Um, Why did you hate them as a youth? You hated them? as a youth.
3: I hated them. I don't know. That's interesting. I I was I was very invested in football I and mean, in basketball had for for many years, but but yeah, <laughs> not anymore.
1: My limited insight of the Padres, you know, because I've been to like four games, yeah. and one of them I just stared at ballpark eats instead of <laughs> the game, right. But when I was in Boston and we went to the Red Sox game, uh, Ulises and I were sitting and we we're watching them and they were really good. I think I, you know, was they the were Red doing Sox? stuff. Yeah, they're hitting balls. And, and stuff. we looked at each other. We're like, wow, this team's like really good. Like it's not like going to a Padres game. I was like, oh, I don't have a lot to measure, but yeah, it was just a lot of stuff happening and people making it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Go, going
3: around those bases. Those bases. I am excited though. I'm getting back into basketball.
2: Yeah, you and Will were talking about putting together a team. Yeah, we and start I, on Saturday, and you were asking people in the office, but you didn't ask me. <laughs> do you
3: want to be? Do you want to join the team?
2: No, I wouldn't be very good. But you could have asked.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Just talking idiot. to every. You
2: Get asked it. Tiggist if her boyfriend could play, <laughs> and you didn't even say, "What about you, Scott? <laughs> I'm 47, but I'm still a man." And S- I st-
3: Scott, for your birthday, I'm going to do something. What? You want to play on our team we no, start on Saturday? I, I don't
2: think you it's want me now. I'm a I'm I'm a good hustler <laughs> well that's what we need but I'm I'm a, a little shaky on the dribble
3: that's that's fine we just need some subs man
2: you guys loved the city attorney discussion and I can't thank you enough for all your feedback. <laughs> I heard from Mike Geary, the former city attorney, who brought up what he always brings up about this, was, which was then in the 1930s, when the city of San Diego made the city attorney an elected office, they touted it as a representative of the people that needed to be independent, that needed to be an elected official on its own so that it could respond to the corruption and concerns of the public. And I heard from others who were like, look at this, look at that. I loved how much people were engaged. You guys loved it.
3: Oh, man, I was- You were wi-
2: buzzing about the city attorney all weekend. I was wild at heart for it.
1: <laughs> I just think I like never gave it much thought right. until True. the podcast episode. True.
2: Okay, well, we have an update. Yes. So Mara Elliott herself, the city attorney, has responded, not to us, but she did issue- a memorandum to the city and to the honorable members of the rules committee of the city council. So what happens is any citizens can tell the rules committee, I would like you to do this ballot measure. And the rules committee then decides if they want to put it on the ballot. If they decide it does want to go on the ballot, then it goes to the city council as a whole. And the city council can put anything on the ballot it wants. And so you don't need to put things on the ballot unless they change something that was made to be city law on the ballot and that's the city charter. So she has sent this memo to the rules committee as they discuss whether to, they would put a measure on the ballot that would make the city attorney an appointed official by the city council and the elected city attorney would simply do the prosecutorial function of the misdemeanors within the city of San Diego's boundaries. Now, I also heard from our erstwhile freelancer, Randy Dotinga, who pointed out to me that I was wrong last week, that the city attorney doesn't just prosecute misdemeanors within the city of San Diego's boundaries. It also does so for the city of Poway.
1: Oh, yeah, that was interesting. Who knew? Randy did.
2: (laughs) Randy did. (laughs) And so they would do the prosecutorial powers uh, as an elected city attorney. And then they would make the, the, the advice to the city council, the litigation stuff, all of that stuff would go to an appointed city attorney. Now, Mara Elliott uh, has sent this memo to the rules committee and she does not like it. Well, first, let's go back eight years. Eight years ago, Mara Elliott herself was in our podcast studio in 2015, September. She was asked by me about this issue about whether the city attorney should be an elected position or not. And at first she said, Look, I could argue it either way. And then she, she is s- an
1: attorney after all. Yes.
0: <laughs> Very on brand.
2: And she said, But then she said this
0: I don't particularly like the elected. Okay. I I would if if I had a magic wand, it would be appointed because qualifications and experience matter and right. with an election you don't necessarily need to have that. But
2: you're doing your So this was she was running for the city attorney's office. She was running for an elected office that she believed shouldn't be an elected office. Now, people are saying we agree with that. It shouldn't be an elected office. And we would like to do that differently. And the reason they'd like to do that is because they believe the city attorney has not been a good partner for the council and the mayor. That it, there's always that because they're elected, they're they're at loggerheads. They don't serve. You know, if we hire a lawyer, we say, what can we do? Uh, we'd like to achieve this. Will you help us achieve that with, you know, uh, uh, your legal advice and tell us what not to do and what to do? There's a trust problem at City Hall sometimes where the, the city attorney may have other goals as an elected official that don't necessarily mean that you satisfy the legal advice requirements of this person. Now, now she and Aguirre and others would say, well, no, as the, as the, you know, as the representative of the people in this situation, we will provide them the advice they deserve and need from the perspective of the well-being of the public. Okay, so it's a little different, right? But a, but a corporation, which the city of San Diego is, should have a, a lawyer that's working for it. So it's a big debate. I can see both sides, as she could. But she, again, later said, you know, probably shouldn't be elected. Well, she's changed her mind. No. She's changed her mind about that. She would not like it to be appointed. She wants it to remain elected. And she said uh, she just starts hammering these guys who put forward the proposal. The two people who did it were Jared Quint and Gil Cabrera. Gil Cabrera ran for city attorney against Mariela and lost. He's a pretty well-known local attorney and political guy in town. And she says, like, they, they say it will increase uh, transparency, improve transparency, and provide better accountability for the city's legal issues, all these things. And then she says, this the proposers do not pro- provide evidence to support their claims, nor did they respond to this officer's request for information. Okay. But then she goes off and makes a lot of claims herself for instance she says the city attorney's office is likely the most transparent public sector legal office in the state of california wow that's a big claim that's a bold claim (laughs) wow i'm not sure i can verify and she you're gonna be shocked does not provide evidence about how much more transparent Transparent, it is than these other places Uh, she says, quote, the proposed measure would pit elected officials against one another, interfere with e- equitable access to legal services, reduce accountability and decrease transparency, all the while increasing the city's annual cost. You can say she's not a fan.
1: But is she? Re- she's responding not in her role as like giving legal advice, right? She's just responding as like, I'm the person who holds this job and here's what I think.
2: You know, that's the greatest question Ever, because <laughs> you get to explain something. No, because oh. <laughs> it's it really gets to the heart of the issue. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is a legal issue. There's no citation of law. Mm-hmm. This is a public policy position she's making the case for about like the best form of government. Right. There's no. I don't see any legal. There are a couple of references to the charter and state. Well, well she and,
3: is after all an elected official, right? So, so this She's is what a- elected officials do. This isn't what appointed bureaucrats do.
2: Right. But here was the one that got me the most. She said, this would be the largest structural change to city government, city governance in decades. Okay. This is a city that switched to the strong mayor form of government, and it hasn't been multiple decades yet. It went into effect in what, 2006? So we're still in the 18-year period here. hmm that was a big change of structural government. <laughs> the mayor became went from being a, an elected council member of sorts a, a sort of glorified council member to being the executive yeah. of all city employees, right? That was a pretty big. So I would like some evidence to back up that claim that it's the biggest structural, but here's the one that really gets me. The proposed measure eliminates a branch of city government. Hold on here. <laughs> What, what is going on with a branch of city government? Okay. We all grew up understanding what the branches of the federal government are: yeah. it's the judicial, the executive, and the legislative. Yes.
3: Legislative. That's what I
2: Yeah. So she's saying that she's a branch of government. So let's look at the city, for example: it has a city a hall. And in there, there's the city council, which is the legislative group. Yes, they do pass the legislation. And there is an executive, the, the mayor. But I'm sorry, the city attorney is not another branch of the government. It's, it's a, it's, that implies that she has a check on the other two, that she can rule their motions or their decisions to be wrong and veto them just like the, the Supreme Court can do to a law that the Congress passes. Right. She cannot do that. She can make, now that's that, but I mean, I guess she can make the case that she can do that. But that is the most expansive interpretation of the city attorney's role that you can possibly make. And it's the one that she explicitly ran against in 2016. Now you can change your mind. In 2020 I interviewed her and I asked her about these thoughts that she had and she's like, "Well, I was really innocent until I got this job and I realized like, you know, how big a deal it is in in these situations and how you have to provide like an independent voice compared to like what all these different groups want you to."
1: After she had gone through the transformation that we talked about. Yes. Right? The-
2: I'm sorry, power well, releasing really, up. That's a long way of saying like she became an elected city attorney and realized that she had a lot of power. Just like the the people that she ran against in theory, you know, supposedly didn't understand. Again, Mike Aguirre was the one who looked at this and said, "Boy, I can do a lot with this role because of how expansively it's written and because I apply, I ultimately am only only accountable to the to the people, the people who, who vote. elected me, yeah." And so I just think that's a really interesting development in local city government that she has now gone so far as to not just saying like, I think it should be appointed from before. Again, you can change your mind and learn over time. I think we should endorse that. But now she's gotten to the point where she's like, no, this, isn't a, this is not a branch of government, similar to the judicial branch in the federal system where you can like be just as powerful and 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 Check affect too. laws just as much as the Supreme Court can, at that level. That's 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 a really interesting thing to say.
1: So why weigh in now? I mean, she's on her way out.
2: Well, I mean, I think there's a few things going on, right? This would be a big uh, insult to her to say like the last city attorney was so bad that we mm-hmm. need to like stop electing city attorney. I'm sure she'd take that personally, <laughs> right? So I'm sure there's some of that and I'm sure that she also wants to see her successor who runs for the seat now to have a clarity about what that job's going to be, right? right? And I she hasn't endorsed in that race but her chief deputy Heather Ferbert is running for that seat. I would assume she probably supports her but for whatever political reason hasn't endorsed her. I don't know, I can't speak for her, but I'm sure there's a lot going on there. She also says, "Look, there's going to be probably three things on the ballot, about the city attorney, this, uh, the, the next city attorney, who that's going to be. And there's an ongoing issue about whether the city attorney should represent the auditor or not, or whether the auditor should have its own attorney. So she lists in this memo a lot of things that could improve public transparency and accountability and whistleblower protections and stuff like that within the city if this were to go forward. And that she, she's basically saying you should, you should address those before you make this happen. But I think it's a really interesting discussion.
3: Well, is it safe to say, given that her deputy is running, that her Heather Ferber may have the same opinion about whether or not this position should be elected or appointed?
2: Yeah, I'm almost certain that Heather Ferber would like to be the city attorney that gets to flex as a, another branch of government, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, I mean... Y- You know, just prosecuting misdemeanors would be a real bummer. (laughs) Like, I mean, there's some good misdemeanors, I'm sure, that get you stoked about what you're doing for the public.
1: Poway stuff.
2: And the yeah, (laughs) yeah, you get poway. But there's gun violence. You know, restraining orders. Those still are important. All that stuff. But I remember. But I remember that conversation in 2016 with Mara Elliott, and she had been at the county council's office, and the county council is appointed. And I was like, well, what do you, you know, what do you want to do with this office? And she's like, well, you know, I think that this is a similar thing. The only difference is, and and this is why it should be elected, is the misdemeanors. That's a really big, you know, angle and that's why it should be elected. So I think, you know, they're kind of calling her on that and saying like, okay, we'll take that out. and just a point. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, there you go.
3: All right. City attorney.
2: We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us.
0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on Season 2 of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
2: Jacob, you uh, visited Korea Middle School in my neck of the woods in Point Loma. What happened there? Why were you there? Well, a
3: couple weeks ago, there there was a purported sighting of a gun at Correa. Uh, one girl who attended... Um, said that her, a classmate of hers had told her that he had a gun on him. And then after school, she and a friend said that he pulled up on a bike and, and sort of showed it off to them, brandished it to them. Uh, and in the aftermath of that, um, you know, the, the girl's par- uh, mother who was coming to pick her up, brought, brought them back to school and they reported it. And it caused, you know, a stir as you would imagine. Um, parents were, deeply fearful and the school's communication strategy, which was at first to just send out a, an extremely vague voicemail saying there was an incident. If you know anything about the incident, contact us, which as you can imagine, at a middle school that would frighten quite a few parents. Right. Um, so social media exploded um, with speculation, with, with rumors, with gossip. Um, ultimately the story came out on social media and, 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 um, a lot of information was revealed about, about, you know, this boy, the name, um, and from there other allegations surfaced that, that this boy and and potentially his, his friend who had been with him when he pulled up on the bike, um, had engaged in sexual harassment of, of girls for many years. And as this continued to unfold, um, you know, parents were deeply unsatisfied with, with the way the district approached disciplining these kids. And I, I think it was a really, it was an interesting story just because of how messy it was,
1: mm-hmm. right? Um, so how did the district respond initially after the mother, you know, reported the incident to them?
3: So initially the the district dispatched uh, school police and San Diego Police Department to the homes of these two boys. They searched mm-hmm. Um, they reported that they did not find a gun. They reported that they, they, the parents of these boys did not have a gun registered to them. Uh, I was told that they did a sort of canvassing of the neighborhood and, and did not find a, a weapon. Um, so these two boys were suspended uh, pending further investigations into these allegations of sexual harassment that arose kind of in the days following. But for many parents, that just was not enough, You know, especially for the, the parents of... Um, of one of the the girls who reportedly saw the gun, uh, you know they felt the district had had referred to this this gun sighting as unsubstantiated, which they felt was a you know a grave insult in implying that the district did not believe their daughter had seen this this gun, and um, ultimately parents wanted these kids gone. They they had had you know over the course of these week or so they'd heard so many things about. These boys, um, whether it be the gun siding or the, the the allegations of sexual harassment, that you know a suspension was was not enough for
2: them. The yeah. sexual harassment they did look into as well, yes, and, and they felt like that did hold water.
3: Yes, uh, Superintendent Lamont Jackson told me that they investigated the sexual harassment as well, and they were able to substantiate it. Although he could not. Uh, confirm what sort of discipline um, the the boys received. Yeah,
2: well, and that brings up the question then at the heart of all this, which is, how do you balance? Obviously, he's very concerned about revealing anything about these boys. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, there's you know there was a literal picket, there was a protest, yeah. saying that they need to be expelled, and so everybody got a crash course in what it takes to expel Mm -hmm. a student and how did, how did they come to understand that?
3: You know, this is kind of where the story gets even messier. You know, the district for a long time has been trying to implement disciplinary processes that, that are less punitive and more, um, more, uh, you know, their, their discipline process is called a restorative justice process. This often uh, happens, you know, directly after incidents, and, and it's an effort to divert disciplinary procedures away from the inherently punitive, like suspension and expulsion, and into areas where they can kind of, as the name suggests, restore relationships. Although all of that is, is very soft and squishy. Um, but in this instance, where these boys had just been suspended and where the district had not expelled them, parents, as you said, at a, at a community meeting that was kind of uh, forced onto the district by the outcry of the parents, detailed exactly what it takes to um, suspend uh, a kid at San Diego or expel, excuse me, expel a kid at San Diego Unified. And there are only five reasons that, that the district can expel a student and I'll read them read them out for you real quick. Um, the first is use, possession, or sale of any weapon that includes guns, knives, explosives, other dangerous objects. Brandishing a knife at another person, uh, dangerous behavior like repeated incidents of fighting, violence, or otherwise um, causing serious injury. Um, sexual, sexual misconduct, which is attempting to commit or committing a sexual assault or committing sexual battery. And the last is use distribution or possession of a controlled substance. So basically drug stuff.
2: So in this case you have obviously firearm would qualify, Yes, but they couldn't establish that there was a firearm. They had nothing to really tie him to one other than the witness statement. Yeah. The the district
3: didn't find a gun and for superintendent Lamont Jackson, um, they needed, they needed evidence. They you can't did.
2: just say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the sexual one is really interesting too, because it's only about assault or the yeah. threat of assault and yeah. not about harassment. Um, and so there was, a basically.
3: But it's not, it's not even the threat of assault because that, that is okay. something that parents, uh, claimed did happen. Right. That, that there were threats made of, you know, I'm going to come and sexually assault you, but. The, the actual language is attempting to commit or committing a sexual assault or committing a sexual battery. There is no there is no threat. It's attempt.
2: Fascinating. And so at the because let's go back for a second. The, the yeah. restorative policy and the progressive disciplinary approach is the result of decades of pretty shocking sort of disparities and yeah. and problems with how we've we've heard over and over again. I mean one of the sort of canons of educational policy is that if you suspend a kid enough, they are going to fail, struggle, and yeah. they are likely to enter the criminal justice system. Yeah,
3: that's what that's what researchers and activists call the school to prison pipeline. Right. And and it's, and it's very real, very well documented. Suspensions and expulsions are oftentimes not only negatively impact the student academically but again as you said pushes them into the the criminal justice system over over the long term which is a, a terrible thing to do to a kid and so for, for understandable reasons San Diego unified has 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 worked to try to institute approaches that don't um, push kids towards those those l- long-term struggles and 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 um, aren't as punitive um, be, because they themselves have had a long history of, of, as you said, very shocking disparities
2: in the way that they discipline kids. On the other hand, yeah. if we're so well accustomed to now the horrific reality of firearms at school uh, and mass shootings and all kinds of just horrific threats that do occur and that you have to, unfortunately since, what, 1997, have to take seriously in a way that none of us wanted to, and the reality of sexual violence and sexual assault that could occur and the harassment of itself being intolerable. So so you have the reality we just discussed about the disparities and discipline approach, but also you can't not take these things seriously. So the district has a really difficult balance to make there.
3: Yeah. And that's why this story is, is, is so messy because there are two sides that I, I don't, I don't necessarily in broad terms, I don't think either of them are wrong. You know, the parents have, are, are, are rightly nervous and afraid about, about kids safety. I mean, I, I grew up in San Diego. Um, when I was 11, there were actually, when I was 10. Um, there were two shootings at schools. Few, maybe ten miles or less from where I went to school. Within three weeks, Mm -hmm. I mean, we we live in a in a in a in a world in which violence at school is sadly normal. Yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. school shootings are a thing that happens constantly. Shootings are a thing that happen constantly. Gun violence is this ever looming specter that that. Unfortunately, when kids or when parents drop their kids off at school, it's something that that they have to grapple with and think about. And so to be afraid that your daughter saw a gun outside of school, saw a classmate with a gun and had what, you know, if you read the story, had a a brief but what I think is a pretty chilling conversation purportedly with Mm -hmm. with this student. I I understand her, um, you know, this parents desire and 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 call for discipline that goes beyond what the district did. But at the same time.
2: But also let's not forget the, like you as a woman, if, if somebody threatened or had harassed you and you knew that they were going to be at school, that would hurt your ability to learn. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And that's, that's a whole other aspect of this that I, that I think is, is, is very troubling Uh, you know, uh, as a society, violence against women and harassment is, has been normalized for so long. Mm-hmm. And ensuring that, that kids especially feel comfortable speaking out about this is, is very important. That was another thing that parents were super frustrated and worried about. You know, will our kids, you know, this school has this this motto of see something, say something. If you see something going wrong in class, say something. And parents uh, at this, this meeting that I, uh, you know, Watched the Zoom of while sitting outside of the auditorium because I was not allowed into <laughs> the to auditorium. Um, there were many parents who said they, that this see something, say something mantra was, was proven to be toothless and ineffective. And how, how or why will kids actually tell you something is going on if they think that when they do, they just won't be believed?
2: And then you mentioned in the story. I think this was interesting, just about how big a deal this got to be. Use, used at with Lamont Jackson, the superintendent himself, yeah. to talk about it, and he was clearly struggling with what the right balance is.
3: He was struggling, but he was also very firm. You know, he he told me that that they did not find a gun, and so he thinks that they got this right. Um, and he he did his best, I think, to to project sympathy. But but in the eyes of many parents, what he said is going to be. Absolutely inadequate. Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. Again, he he said. You know, he doesn't he doesn't disbelieve that these girls saw what they say they saw. Um, But in any case, whether this was you know somebody said that a classmate punched them or somebody said that that a classmate had a gun, they that they need evidence if they're going to you know take drastic disciplinary measures like expelling a kid.
2: Especially, and as you also illustrate in the story, they are just like so many of the things in our lives governed by fear or reality of lawsuits and plaintiff's actions that they, they would have to defend Mm -hmm. in court an expulsion. And, and they honestly said they couldn't do that. Right.
3: Yeah. You know, the kids, uh, students like all Americans students in many parts of the country are are afforded basic legal rights. And so They are able to challenge expulsions if they feel that they were, you know, expelled for a a reason that was not not right. Um, And and so the the district and and a a police captain who spoke at that meeting said, you know, if our legal team were to have to defend this, they would lose it because we don't have the gun. Which, again, uh, you, you know, whatever you believe, that was a pretty that was a pretty that was quite a moment in that meeting and it was a moment for me sitting out in the in Outside. the courtyard on my on my airpods trying to decipher the garbled echoey speech from inside that auditorium on on zoom um but all of this I think r- really highlights the balancing act yeah the the tightrope walking that that officials that education leaders are are having to deal with in this age of of, of really, I would say, rightful fear in schools, but also an age where we're confronting the disproportionalities and the disparity, especially the racial disparities that have long existed in the way we discipline kids. Mm -hmm. Both of these things are extremely valid. I I really think they are. Um, Due process should exist for kids, but also parents should be able to feel safe when they drop their kids off from school.
1: Yeah. I think another element in the story for me that stood out um was how and you know like a school district can't control you know what's going on on Facebook parent groups, right? Like yeah. whatever is going to go on there is going to go on there and yeah. the district can't control that, but it was the the vagueness of the initial message uh, of an incident taking place, which rightfully parents were, you know, trying to decipher or make sense of, and the like, kind of like spiral that happened yeah. in in these, you know, social platforms of parents. Not only that, like the sharing of information of, you yeah. know, th- this is a seventh grader after all, right? This so is yeah. a child. Um, the sharing of things in that group. It all came from, right, that fear that something mm-hmm. happened. We're not sure what it is. You know, rumors are spreading. People are saying other things. And, you know, it, it all makes sense. But it's also just fascinating how, you know, that kind of happened.
3: Yes. And, and I think that it really, you know, again, and this is, this is not to say that I don't understand the fear. But it, it could have been a really, really tragic situation. Yeah. Right. Like this is a seventh grade boy. His name was being shared in, mm-hmm. in Facebook groups, um, and it, it ultimately the district substantiated, certain, um, you know, or I was told the district substantiated elements of the sexual harassment. Um, and as you know, was mentioned multiple times, they, they didn't substantiate the um, the gun threat. But if if it were the case that this was some sort of misunderstanding that boy's life would be forever altered Mm -hmm. you know and that is something that i i I imagine is not easy for a seventh grader to come back from i I think that when we look at social media platforms as lamont jackson uh, told me in this piece you know social media moves faster than investigations do Mm -hmm. uh and Ultimately, when it comes to investigations like this that have to do with kids mm-hmm. and and have to do with um, charges that could potentially be criminal, it, it, it's pretty important to move slow on those investigations. But as you said, the communication right. was—they're was, clearly. <laughs> the communication clearly was not adequate. It seemed like the strategy was very, very deeply flawed. Um, Just leaving a voicemail saying there was an incident, like, let us know if you know anything that is, that would, that is, it's inevitable that Mm -hmm. that that would spread fear. And I do, I do sympathize with the principal. His name's Kyle Cooper. He was the interim principal at the time Um, in, in that he, he also was in a tricky situation, having to balance the need for student privacy while also having at the at, at kind of like in the moment this lack of of complete information, mm-hmm. um, I mean this is just a messy story all around. And and one thing that is quite interesting that it didn't make into the story is is he's now he was <laughs> recently appointed the 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 permanent principal mm-hmm. at at this school, which I, I can only imagine what his experience is going to be like after this this very unceremonious kind of interim period.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious to see if the district you know, like looking back at how everything unfolded, like what they could have done differently or what they plan to do differently in these types of situations in yeah. terms of communicating with parents. Yeah. But again, you know, if they have to weigh in the privacy of a student, I don't know how you handle that, but...
2: Right. Well, there was something of a resolution. The district, um, it sounds like, offered him a different spot.
3: Yeah, the district couldn't confirm exactly what happened again because of privacy privacy laws. But... Um, the The parent of, of one of the girls who, who saw this, this the brandishing of the gun was told that these two boys were offered a, a spot in a new school, and they've they accepted. So um, they are no longer enrolled at Korea middle School, but but for some parents that's very, as I wrote in the story again, that was cold comfort and, and leaves them questioning whether this is where they want to be leaving their kids, you know every day.
2: Well, it is a messy story, but you laid it out, I think, really well. You can see that piece at VOSD.org slash Jacob with a K. That's VOSD.org slash J-A-K-O-B. So the San Diego City Council this week voted on water rates, and it's going to hurt. So this December, there will be a 5% increase. Uh, And then in July 2024, there'll be another 5% increase. And then in January 2025, there will be a 9% increase. Uh, So that all compounds. I think people have been saying 20%, but when you compound everything, that's going to be a little bit more. That's a tough one to swallow. We already pay the highest rates in the country. Uh, We've talked a lot about why we do pay those high rates. Uh, The mayor mentioned only one of those reasons in his own sort of newsletter to constituents where he described the reason for this as the skyrocketing cost of imported water. Uh, We import water from Northern California and from the Colorado River, of course, uh, through the Metropolitan Water District and our partnership with the Imperial Irrigation District. Yes, those costs have gone up, but not nearly as fast as desalination. And they also need to pay for the plan going forward to... Recycle our wastewater into something that we can drink, which will provide um, up to, I think, 30 or more percent of our water will just be the water we already had. So a lot going on there. And uh, this is another reason why it is something you should care about. This is a big issue. Uh, this is the core of civilization in the Western United States is water. Without what we could, We could go without a few things for a while, but if you go without water, the cities fall apart. There is no city, there's no civilization without water. It's crucial to our survival, our sanitation, and just um, the survival of the ecology around here as well. So we uh, are going to have a big conversation about it. At PolitiFest, we decided to focus with our partners, Cal Matters on water and housing. And to this week, I'm going to talk a little bit about water and why we should care about these events. PolitiFest is October 7th, and we have a great discussion coming together on a number of different fronts. So first, this is the 20th anniversary of the Quantification Settlement Agreement. This was the, uh, I know it sounds a little bit boring, (laughs) but this was the historic agreement where California for the first time, put a, a quantity, quantified how much water it's going to take from the Colorado River and then divvied it out in a, in a sharing agreement between the Imperial Irrigation District, the San Diego County Water Authority, the Metropolitan Water District, and the one in Coachella. And so the, uh, the big issue there was that was the first time they put a price on water rights really in California. And we agreed as San Diego ratepayers to buy water from the farm, farmers in Imperial Valley, they agreed to fallow their fields and to sell us those that water, and uh, that's part of the reason we're seeing these water rate increase because it is expensive to buy that water uh, along with desalination. So for the 20th anniversary of that historic decision, we're going to have the head of the Metropolitan Water District. Uh, Adele Haja Khalil, he is going to come in uh, and talk. So this is the, again, general manager of the Metropolitan Water District. The Metropolitan Water District is a giant agency, uh, and he's coming down to talk about that. We also have Tina Shields uh, from the uh, the uh, Ir- Imperial Irrigation District. She's in charge of water there, and she worked on this agreement. And Dan Denham, the general manager of the San Diego County Water Authority. That should be a great discussion. We're hoping to also include a discussion about the salt and Sea because all that water that Imperial Irrigation District used and sort of used a lot of poured into the Salton Sea and made the Salton Sea what it is, but because they cut off water to it to give to San Diego and other places, it is now dying and it's uh, it's a big environmental problem for the future of Imperial County. So a lot of stuff going on there. We're also going to have a big discussion about the future of sharing Colorado River water with the heads of the waters districts in Nevada and Arizona and um, uh, the former head of the um, uh, Metropolitan Water District and um, now a consultant for the Imperial Garrison District, which is itself a, ooh, drama situation, is uh, going to speak as well. His name is Jeff Keitlinger. So that's going to be a great discussion. Cal Matters is hosting a discussion about where we could get water in the future in innovative ways. Uh, so I want you to get excited about that. Go to politifest.org uh politifest.org is where you can get your tickets uh to uh politifest and uh all those other things politifest.org that's p o l i t i f e s t.org come you're going to enjoy the discussion you can meet with us you can have diet coke with me <laughs> and we can uh we can talk about water and other things again uh, we'll talk about housing next week but this is why it's such a big issue i'm i'm shocked that we got people from nevada arizona coming in this yeah. is going to be a big discussion uh, about the future of the Western United States, and we're hosting it at the University of San Diego.
3: It's very exciting. I mean, PolitiFest is sort of like this national treasure, right? <laughs> and these water panels, will be they'll be interesting. We'll have some folks leaving Las Vegas to come. Uh-huh. We'll have some folks raising Arizona's water uh-huh. concerns, uh-huh. you know, all to talk about. The unbearable weight of these these massive water decisions in the future,
2: and if we're able to uh, pull off an adaptation to the future, there right? you go. Yeah, yeah.
3: some big yeah.
1: people are going to face off on it, some really complicated. Totally, topics. it's going to
3: be The Rock.
2: <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Plutofest.org. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego and the only podcast that will have a live recording at PolitiFest. that's coming up October 6th and 7th at the University of San Diego uh, and in Imperial Beach for that October 6th event. You can check it out at politifest.org. That's politifest.org, P-O-L-I-T-I-F-E-S-T.org. We'll see you there. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego, Andrea Lopez Villafana. Is managing editor, Jacob McQuinney, is our education reporter. Nate John is our excellent producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.